0: RPC Radio. Radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. Cryptocurrency really isn't a currency. The
1: name is rather uh, wishful thinking. It is often analogised as being like a commodity and at present that's I think the best way of thinking of it but it's one that doesn't have any inherent value
0: unlike perhaps a bottle of whiskey my name is Peter Mansfield I'm a partner in the law firm RPC and in each episode I am joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance and this week we have Nick Yo, and we are going to discuss cryptocurrency Nick started out his legal career as a barrister and solicitor in Australia before moving over to Slaughter and May in London for three years. But for the last 22 years, he's been a barrister at Fountain Court Chambers. And according to the legal directories, he has, quote, immense intellectual ability, close quotes. Indeed, in 2016, he was named the Professional Negligence Junior of the Year at the Chambers and Partners Awards. Nick has a broad practice covering fraud, fintech and finance, Uh, including the professional negligence aspects of finance, tech, and the legal profession. But he has a particular speciality in cryptocurrency disputes, which is what we're going to discuss today. So, Nick, welcome to the podcast. It's a delight to be here chatting to you. Um, 22 years ago, um, as I've just said, you made the switch from uh, solicitor to barrister. So, first, whatever possessed you to do that? and, uh, And second, how have you ended up with this speciality in cryptocurrency?
1: Well, Peter, I'd been a transactional finance solicitor, uh, focusing on complex structured products. But as, as any good transaction um, lawyer will tell you, when structuring a transaction, you try to avoid any legal issues by a country mile so that there's a, a sort of margin for error. And so after a few years, I felt it was time to, to get back to the finer legal judgments that you get more in the litigation practice. And when the opportunity came to join Fountain Court, leading banking and commercial set of barristers, I jumped at it. Scroll forward a, a decade or so, um, my clerk suggested to me that I might look into crypto. um She was uh, ahead of me at that <laughs> stage. Shout out to our clerks. Um, I hadn't seen the the growth in the area. There weren't really many cases back there. Just lots lots of theory. Uh, but before long, I was brought into the team for what is still, I think, one of the most significant crypto cases in the Anglo Commonwealth world: the B two C two and Coin decision coming out of the Singapore International Court of Appeal. And things really went from there uh, to my present engagement, uh, amongst other things. Um, I'm advising the joint provisional liquidators of FTX in the Bahamas.
0: Ah, well, we'll, we'll come back to FTX a little a little bit later on. <laughs> um, but uh, right at the outset, I should say to listeners that in this podcast, we're limiting ourselves to uh, providing uh, an introduction to cryptocurrency we're, we're not really going to be focusing on the, the insurance aspects of, of cryptocurrency because I, I may come back and do that in an episode later in the year but in, in this episode I didn't want us to overreach ourselves um but I thought cryptocurrency would be a topic of general interest uh to to listeners and therefore I want to do it justice um and therefore I thought you know it's not easy um I've been to many a seminar on cryptocurrency and uh left all of them with a, a degree of ignorance. So hopefully this podcast will explain what cryptocurrency is. So right at the outset, Nick, could you provide us with a with, with a definition? What, what, what's that, a generic definition for cryptocurrency? Well, my sort of working definition would be that
1: a cryptocurrency is a digital token of value in which transactions can be verified and records maintained by a decentralized system with the security of those transactions being effectively achieved through cryptography
0: rather than by any central authority who blesses the transaction. And this is what I mean, Nick. Kind of, <laughs> <laughs> this, this is why I, I'm still in the position of not really understanding, because I think we we really need to unpack that um, and get down to the bare bones of it. Um, so so you, you talked about decentralised there. And so I, I'm thinking, what does a decentralised system mean? And I think in order to understand that, maybe we should start by talking about what is a centralized system and, and then we can contrast it
1: yeah well the the best centralized system that we have is the centralized system that um exists over what cryptocurrency people call fiat currency that is our day-to-day currency us dollars british pounds yen now central banks have the ultimate control over the supply of fiat currency and another aspect a sort of a more granular aspect of centralized control in relation to fiat currency is in our banking system in general, the the consumer banking system. So MasterCard and Visa, for example, have um, control over the ledgers of how much we've spent on our credit cards. Banks and payment service providers have control over the ledgers of how much we have still left to spend on our credit cards. That's what I mean by a centralized system. By contrast, cryptocurrency, at least in theory, is typically not controlled by anyone and the ledger of transactions and the ledger of your balances is not administered by any one organization but is, is rather maintained on a group of computers each which talk to each other pursuant to certain code or software
0: okay once again i'm, I'm hoping this all becomes clear uh, as we <laughs> as we keep on talking but it's easy for for technical dinosaurs such as myself, and that's what I think has already been made clear, um, that to think of cryptocurrencies as as being a, sort of a niche interest, it's, it's something which people are fascinated by because of Bitcoin and the, price and the way in which Bitcoin price went up, but ultimately still a niche interest. Um, but I, I was staggered when I was kind of did a bit of research on it because apparently as at November twenty two. Uh, there were twenty-one thousand eight hundred and forty-four different cryptocurrencies, of which nine thousand three hundred and fourteen were were actively being bought and sold and traded, which obviously contrasts with a, a mere one hundred and eighty currencies in in the real world. There are three hundred million cryptocurrency users around the globe, and these currencies have a daily trading volume. So a daily trading volume of fifty-five billion and, and this, this final fact um, uh, absolutely blew me away when I read it, which is that in the fourth quarter of 2021, Ethereum, which is one of the better known cryptocurrencies, Ethereum processed more payments than Visa in in the final quarter of 2021. So, so this is definitely not a a, a niche interest. So. Could you talk us through the, the, the cryptocurrency ecosystem? I think, if my reading serves me right, is that it sort of starts with distributed ledger technology or, or DLTs. So could you talk us through it in, in, in a way which explains it to a dinosaur like myself? Well, yes, Pete, I think you um, do yourself down. But uh, DLT
1: is the generic name for the type of computer code which I was just talking about, which would enable a group of computers to talk to one another and to do so in a way that keeps the results of the ledger cryptographically secure. The DLT that everyone would have heard of is the Bitcoin blockchain. But there are many different blockchains. You mentioned Ethereum. That's a distinct blockchain and a distinct DLT from Bitcoin. Each has its own code and often different code running them in somewhat different ways. Although, having said that, some blockchains are effective clones of others. The BNB chain is really just a clone of the Ethereum blockchain, as I understand it, and is or was at least originally sponsored by the Binance crypto exchange. A blockchain is really just, as I said, an example of a DLT. There are other technical solutions, potentially better or worse than blockchains, to achieve the same or similar commercial effect. But really, each DLT, each blockchain, is an entire technological ecosystem itself. So that the Bitcoin blockchain is the system in which Bitcoin exists. Bitcoin is, as some people uh, call it, the native token on that blockchain. And the Ethereum blockchain has the Ether, which is the native token on that blockchain. As to what is Bitcoin, it sort of takes us back to the definition of cryptocurrency at the outset. but even more simplistically now that we've got an idea of the technology that links these computers or at least a description of that i think of bitcoin at base as just a ledger entry on a cryptographically secured decentralized ledger so that group of computers is maintaining a ledger it's decentralized it's secured by cryptography and your bitcoin is just a line in that ledger nothing more bitcoin like and other crypto tokens like it don't give the holder the right to anything you can buy and sell bitcoin by interacting with that bitcoin blockchain and everybody
0: can see the bitcoin blockchain transactions okay so if i try to explain it in a a different way you can tell me whether i'm even getting close to to what it is so I can buy using real world currency, so pound sterling, US dollar, whatever it may be, um, a bit of code that is called a coin, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever it might be. But in fact, that is just a bit of code on a ledger somewhere, or indeed not somewhere because it's decentralized, but it's visible to everyone, not owned by anyone. But what I buy with my real world currency is a bit of code. Is is, is that right? Yes, in in essence. I don't think when thinking about Bitcoin, that
1: sort of description is going to to lead you astray. That Bitcoin and tokens like it um, are often called payment tokens. But that's really because they don't carry any other rights with them. They are simply something which essentially may be able to use for payment but really that's it they are just a ledger entry as you described
0: okay so i buy this this bit of code that is a ledger entry which i can then sell to someone hopefully for a profit but how how does that so so yes it's a bit of code but how does that really differ from Buying something else of perceived value, so uh, you know, a fancy bottle of wine or a bottle of whiskey or, or, or any other commodity. I, I, am I right in thinking that cryptocurrency is a thing rather than a currency? Really, so it's, it's to, to call it a cryptocurrency is a bit of a misnomer because it's not really a currency. It's a it's a it's a thing which people perceive to have. Value and that thing can be bought and sold. It's just that the thing that is being bought and sold is just a bit of digital code. Is is that is that getting close to the truth? Yes, I think you're right again.
1: Cryptocurrency really isn't a currency. The name is rather uh, wishful thinking. In this area, you'll see many lawyers talk about crypto tokens or crypto coins or just digital assets. It is, as I said, just a ledger entry, which someone else might be willing to pay for. It is, as you rightly point out, often analogized as being like a commodity. And at present, that's, I think, the best way of thinking of it. But it's an intangible commodity and also one that doesn't have any inherent value, unlike perhaps a bottle of whiskey.
0: So uh, because I was just thinking another comparison with it would be like like a a share in a company which is you know something which you can buy it, it doesn't really exist in the sense that you can't prod it and poke it but but you, you can buy and hopefully it makes a, a profit and then you sell it sell it for more but with a share in a company that is backed by the value of the company but what backs up the 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 value of of this bit of digital code this 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 coin this crypto coin? the share is backed by the value of a company but as far as I see it the the crypto coin is backed by faith and faith alone is is that fair maybe not even faith
1: perhaps just just hope Um, (laughs) but absolutely yes um for a um Bitcoin and similar payment tokens uh there is nothing that can be done with them aside from um, holding them to hopefully realise a greater value in the future or possibly to pay for things, sometimes illegal things. By contrast, some exchanges, though, do mint their own tokens, which then give holders the right to certain benefits. For example, discounts on trading fees on that exchange. And some blockchains not only contain a ledger of transactions, but also host other code, other software, which can be written on top of that blockchain and use some of the functionality of that blockchain and to have your um, code hosted on a blockchain, you will typically need to pay in the native token of that blockchain. So to put it in um, concrete terms, Ethereum, the blockchain that you referred to, is different from the Bitcoin blockchain in that it was designed to allow code, sometimes called smart contracts, to be written on top of it but you need to pay for the privilege of doing that by paying in ether the native token on the ethereum blockchain so coins like ether are often called utility tokens because they are principally designed to have a particular utility and in that sense they do give you a right albeit a right just
0: within the ecosystem of ethereum so so we have i I, i'm hoping that if if listeners have kind of have the same sort of brain process that that I have, kind of w- w- things will now be a lot, hopefully a lot clearer in terms of what, what cryptocurrency actually is. So it, it, it's a thing, albeit a digital thing, which for whatever reason people have given value to and therefore you can buy and sell. It's like, like any other commodity. So in that sense, it, it is not money. Is that right? It is not
1: money. I think that is... Um clear at at, at the present state of development certainly some definitions of money require approval or uh, involvement of the state in its actual issue um some definitions of money at least require a certain general level of adoption as a medium of exchange and even on the the broader notion of money and and currency i don't think any crypto achieves that at present it's not to say that it might not achieve that in in the future
0: hmm okay um so you've already touched upon this but but what is cryptocurrency actually used for well um I I think and that's it's a good
1: point to to summarize it can be used to hold as an investment in the hope that the price will go up it can be used as a medium of exchange to buy other things that is the functionality of a payment token. If you have something that it would be classified as a utility token, then you can typically use it to buy capacity on a blockchain. And if it's a utility token issued in relation to a particular exchange that gives you um, discounts, it, it might give you um, something like that. In that latter case, it's uh, another good analogy is really the um, uh, coffee shop reward card that you get stamps on to the extent to which there's a market in your reward card uh stamps there could be a market in tokens that give you
0: a discount on trading fees okay um I've, I've slightly got ahead of myself um so we've already touched upon Bitcoin and and Ethereum um I understand that there's also something called a, a, a stable coin as well the, what, what's what's that
1: well the stable coin is the name used for those tokens whose value is or purports to be backed by what we might call hard assets. So the most well-known stablecoin perhaps is Tether or USDT, whose value is said to be backed by US dollars. Perhaps the most infamous recently was the Terra USD, which was supposedly just algorithmically pegged to USD through a system of supposed sister currency, the Luna, Um, but they didn't hold the underlying currency itself. And that algorithmic stablecoin was shown not to work, simply. Um, The price of both crashed to nothing. At the other end of the extreme, more robust stablecoins have been designed with a basket of hard currencies and possibly gold and other commodities that are actually held in trust and used to stabilise the price of the crypto. Um, These type of cryptocurrencies could give you a right to some underlying assets, which really takes um, us back to your suggestion about shares. In that sense, a share and a stable coin of that sort do have a great deal of similarity. In fact, stable coins of this sort are often thought to be or classified as security tokens, as distinct from utility tokens or payment tokens, and things that are generally thought to be security tokens are often felt to be within the financial regulatory regime in whatever country you're you're happen to be in so because of the analogy between that sort of stable coin and a share the regulatory authorities will tend to regulate those sort of stable coins as if they were shares or other securities that's a long answer
0: no no it's a good answer I I'm I'm, I'm quite intrigued by stable coins because I, I get that because that, that is a thing. this this bit of digital digital code on, on a ledger which is backed by a real thing. So gold currency or whatever. Now you say that a stable coin failed because it wasn't actually backed by the real thing. but surely that then it then just becomes a normal cryptocurrency at that point because because Bitcoin, as I understand it, is not backed by anything. So so a stablecoin that isn't actually backed by something substantive is just a normal crypto coin, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So because the the general field
1: of cryptocurrency is not regulated, one has to be very, very careful of the terms used. As we started um, this discussion with, cryptocurrency itself is possibly a misnomer. It's not a currency. Just because something is called a stablecoin doesn't mean that there will be a basket of hard currencies held on trust or some other similar legally enforceable mechanism such that um you have some guarantee in law that the currency will be pegged to the um
0: fiat currency equivalent. okay it's all taking on a slightly quasi-religious feel <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, okay how do i get practicalities here how do i go about um buying a, a cryptocurrency and i like i was just thinking you know if i was buying a real a real world asset um I'll hand over cash and put whatever it is in my pocket or in the back of my car or whatever but obviously you can't do that with digital code you can't just you know put the digital code in the back of the car so I, I guess I have three questions for you um first of all h- how do I how do I buy this bit of digital digital code um who do I pay etc and um, the second one is how do I then prove ownership of that bit of digital code and then the third one is, how do I protect my bit of digital code? Because, you know, if I buy a real thing, I, I go to a shop and I buy it and I put it in my car. How do I prove ownership? I have a receipt. And how do I protect it? I keep it under lock and key in, in, in my house or wherever. So and I look after it. So 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 that's what you do in the real world. But what are those three stages in in the digital world, in, in the cryptocurrency world? So first of all, how do I buy a bitcoin or an ethereum well if
1: if you're computer savvy enough and you know somebody who wants to sell a bitcoin you can simply download the bitcoin code on your computer and enter the transaction between the two of you the ledger then records that bitcoin or part of one as then being held at a public address being your public address but as i think is generally well known blockchains are, are pseudonymous in that your name is not recorded as part of the public address on the um on the blockchain it's it's really just a 64 hexadecimal string of characters zero to nine a to f
0: okay um and how do I prove ownership so how do I prove that it's I am that hexadecimal character you do
1: that because you hold the private key that is associated with that public address So as part of the code that affects the cryptographically secure um, system, the private key will be issued to you, which will essentially generate a public address. You then direct somebody to send Bitcoin to that public address and you approve that, or you can then um, sell it on by applying your private key, which tells the code that you are the person who is entitled, authorised,
0: to um, make transactions from that public address. And uh, the third question, uh, Nick, is um, how do I protect my little bit of digital code that is worth a lot of money?
1: Well, your little bit of digital code will be protected by your private key, which is another 64 uh, hexadecimal string. And you protect your private key as if it was your entire savings in cash. You can write it down and store that piece of paper under your bed, or you can type it into a computer and store that string of characters on a USB stick. Both of those modes are typically called cold storage of private keys because they're not connected to the internet. Thirdly, you can buy some software which will allow you to store that private key. And if you have other private keys, store those as well in a way which can easily interact with relevant bits of code where you might want to deploy your key. That sort of software is commonly called wallet software but more precisely in this circumstance, self-custodial wallet software, because the software actually holds your private keys for you. You're still in control. That sort of wallet software might be disconnected from the internet, so providing cold storage, but some may be connected to the internet, but perhaps behind layers of security. And if it's connected to the internet, that's what's called hot storage of your private
0: key. But even those terms are uh, somewhat ill-defined. Okay. Um, yes. I, I, all you're doing, Nick, is persuading me that I should never invest in <laughs> cryptocurrency. You, you've hit a good time in the market not to invest in <laughs> <laughs> cryptocurrency. Um, but I've seen most people um, who've kind of travelled on the London Underground or travelled on buses or wherever over the last few years um, or watched major sporting events, because there's, there's a lot of sponsorship at the moment, uh, that they'll have seen advertisements for uh, cryptocurrency exchanges. So, what role do they play in the system that you just explained?
1: Well, when you asked me how do you buy crypto, I deliberately prefaced that by saying if you're computer savvy, you download the code. In fact, most people don't want to download the Bitcoin blockchain code or any uh, blockchain code for themselves. They simply want to be able to have much more ready access to it. So they will go to an exchange to buy the coin on the exchange. They will transfer their theater currency to the exchange and the exchange will then credit their account on the exchange with the desired cryptocurrency. If they sell, they will then sell on the exchange. And if the uh, buyer from that sale is themselves a user, the transaction will just occur entirely on that exchanges um, system. There won't be any underlying transaction on the blockchain. It will really just be an accounting entry. So the important thing to bear in mind when dealing with an exchange is you can potentially go nowhere near the underlying blockchain. You simply have a contractual or possibly trust right against the exchange to have the balance of your account, whether that is a fiat balance or a crypto balance transferred to you when you ask to withdraw your relationship is entirely with the exchange itself
0: not with the underlying blockchain so who, who is is it the exchange that owns the the thing that the the, the the digital coin
1: typically yes typically the exchange will then take your coin and in return you will have a right against the exchange, which can be analysed in different ways depending on the terms of the exchange. Exchanges provide that buy and sell uh, functionality. They often also these days increasingly provide derivative contracts, derivative exposure to crypto if you um, are so inclined. But then they also provide what is sometimes called wallet services, provide a, a, a wallet for your crypto. But that wallet is really typically just an account on the exchange. It simply records the obligations between you and the exchange. There's one exception to that in that some exchanges do provide self-custodial wallets. In that case, going back to our earlier um, discussion of this, that is where the exchange is essentially providing you with a bit of code that will enable you to hold a unique private key for the digital currency. And in that case, I think the better analysis is that um, you are much more in the driving seat there. So the exchange may have affected a transfer, but then rather than the exchange holding all the private keys itself, the exchange has said to you, here is the private key that controls your bit of digital code, and we will provide you software, but it will be a self-custodial wallet so that you have control over that private key yourself.
0: Doesn't the existence of exchanges undermine the decentralized nature of cryptocurrency? In a word, yes. Because they end up as the centralized ledger holders. In a word, yes, that's exactly right. And so
1: if the analysis is that when you uh, interact with an exchange what you get left with is simply an account with the exchange and rights against the exchange then the notion of decentralization has somewhat sort of faded into the background it's still i suppose there economically in that the value of your holding might be a value that is influenced by the the fundamental nature of the system but so far as your immediate concerns are concerned uh relate to you are dealing with a counterparty as you would in um more normal fiat currency situations
0: okay um, and, and i mean this is an insurance podcast so albeit we said that we weren't going to be discussing insurance but but in order to help those people who, who do insure it what are the sorts of things that can go wrong um you've already mentioned ftx and that's something which a lot of people will be aware of so and i appreciate that you are involved professionally in that and therefore you're you're limited in the things that you can say but kind of talk us through what went wrong with ftx
1: well as um many people will know there's all sorts of strands of investigation that are underway all around the world and i wouldn't want to um hazard a guess as to what the outcome of those will be but clearly there was a run on the exchange Um, The exchange didn't have sufficient assets, either fiat or crypto, to um, pay all all of the users who wanted to um, withdraw. And it seemed as though that run was caused by a collapse in confidence of the price of the FTT token. And this was a token issued by the FTX exchange, which, amongst other things, gave you discounts on trading fees. So that was a, a token of that Nature, the uh, price in the FTT token
0: collapse, and that caused uh, a run on the exchange. So, so uh, yeah, it it seems to me kind of looking at it from the outside that the 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 exchange is is an obvious weak point where things can go wrong. But where else? uh, Where are the other weak points? What are the other things that can go wrong with a cryptocurrency and and a trading system based on cryptocurrency?
1: Well, there can be,
0: for example, system breakdown.
1: The code itself might have a bug in it, which causes a um, a hiccup in the processing of transactions, or even, heaven forbid, a a loss of data, which might lead to a loss of um, cryptocurrency. Individual uh, traders who are engaging with the, the blockchain, or possibly with an exchange, may feel they have made a mistake in entering into a transaction. Uh, There's an interesting question as to whether mistakes could ever really be made if what you're doing is trading through a smart contract, for example, but that's a legal question rather than a a factual one. Mistakes will be made. And there can be questions of uh, financial um, soundness and adequacy and um, corporate governance over intermediaries, in the cryptocurrency system and within the category of intermediaries i i put i include exchanges
0: okay so there can be technical issues uh kind of bugs etc there can be i don't know structural issues and presumably there can be human issues as well there can be you know dishonesty um or, or whatever so okay so in other words it, it all comes back to the, the 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 normal things why things go wrong in other words the normal things yes brilliant and finally, to conclude, Nick, um, uh, d- just as a reminder um, that kind of this is an insurance podcast, so at least we m- need to make a passing reference to it. What what bit of advice would you give, having seen probably the vast majority of, of crypto disputes and how things can go wrong? Kind of what what bit of advice would you give to an underwriter who is thinking of insuring elements of the cryptocurrency ecosystem? I think the the best advice I would give is to
1: read up about it from various perspectives to work out what aspects of the ecosystem are new and what aspects just mimic existing financial markets there are many which just mimic existing financial markets but there are some aspects that are relatively new a lot of the terminology used is new or as we've discussed today is used in a somewhat um, broad sense. Cryptocurrency, for example, uh, so it's important not to get led astray by the terminology used, and to uh, ground oneself in as as a deepened understanding of what's actually going on as one can can
0: obtain. Thank you, Nick. That was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. RPC Radio. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered which is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast you will also love our other podcasts Taxing Matters and Money Covered plus The Fix which is co-hosted by my colleague Kelly Thompson. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you and I hope you have a great day.